Gentlemen, I know, I know uh, it is an investment to give up your Friday night and your Saturday. I absolutely understand that. But I want you to know we want to just do two things. Uh, we want to feed you well. Yeah. And we want to feed you well. And trust me when I say this, there is something special that happens in a relationship, in a family, in a church, in a neighborhood, and in a city, even a nation, when men's primary affections are directed towards the Lord and they know who they are in Christ and from that place they live and they serve. There is something different and that is not for spiritual men, that is for every man to embrace that where you're at and begin to grow. I promise you this, men. I promise you, I make one promise to you. We will not embarrass you. We will not single you out. We will not put on something that feels beyond where you are. No, we wanna meet you right where you're at and show you that in Christ you can be strong and that you can lay down some things that maybe you're carrying that are making you sick. And Jesus wants to touch those things. It's not to be afraid of it. It's a good thing. Deal? Deal. Well, book number two. We're into the book of Mark. Anyone here ever in a conversation with someone and you were just begging them to get to the point? Can I see your hands, please? Like, you're begging them. Okay. If, if you are someone who is just like, you like direct to the point, short and sweet, I want you to know Mark is your guy, okay? And Mark is your book. In Matthew, we were talking about genealogies and we were working, not Mark. In the first, like, 12 verses that we're going to read, we cover a lot. I mean, he begins out of the chute driving down. But this is what's true, just before we read, here is what's true from all of us. Each of us only grows from a place of truth, not from a ducking responsibility or not ducking truth. We don't grow from dreams, nor do we grow from desires. All of those ingredients are essential and they are necessary, but we cannot ever grow unless we humbly admit and truthfully admit where we are at the moment. We can't live in manifestations. We can't live in meditations. We can't live in predictions. We can't live in just pretending that we are somewhere we are not. And so the book of Mark is going to ground it in truth and embracing truth and from truth, we go and we grow and to go, God gives us grace. And it's a good thing, it's a good thing. There is a quote that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that, and, and I don't even think he, if you read the, the study of it, not that it matters about this quote, I don't even know if he actually really said it. So it's more of an anonymous quote, but it's attributed to him, so I'll say it this way. It's the, the quote is this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Okay, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is gonna show you something actually quite simple, is to preach the gospel like Jesus, you need to use words, okay? He used a lot of words, you're gonna have to use a lot of words. But the heart of the question is actually, it's a reflective one and it's helpful. 
And because it invites you and it invites me to ask the question, if I could not say anything, so if I could not persuade or justify or explain anything, could you just looking at my life derive that my life points to Jesus? Would you deduce in the story that I live without words, what does it point to? So I guess I would say one of the opening questions in the book of Mark is, do other people know who you follow? Not just with your words, but with your actions, your behaviors and your attitudes, the things that you, the things that you do, not just the things that you say. And if you immediately feel like, oh man, that makes me feel like I'm not good enough, that makes me feel like I'll never be good enough, let me give you a dose of truth. You're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. If you were good enough or could become good enough on your own, there was no reason for Jesus to come. But the good news is that he came because we're not good enough in ourselves. And this is how Mark opens his gospel. He says this. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, this is Mark. So this is the beginning of the good news that you're not good enough and of yourself. The good news is that Jesus is. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of the Son. It's about the Son of God. Genesis chapter one, in the beginning God. The Bible is not a book about you. It's a book about God that includes you, but it's a book about God. And so when Mark writes the gospel of God, of Jesus Christ, he starts it in the same way. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I am sending my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. If you know anything about the Old Testament, I want you to think about the wilderness. I mean, does that have any relevance at all in the story? Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him who were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, apologies to vegans, and he ate locusts and wild honey. That was a joke. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so from the affection and abiding in the affection of the Father, then Jesus begins to minister. And this is very important for me and it's very important for you. And we're gonna trace it backwards a little bit and we're gonna have a reflection message today. I don't think it'll be revelatory, I think it'll just be reflective. The truth for all of our lives is that Jesus wants us to live in the world from the love of the Father, ministering out, not living for and earning the affection of the Father. Jesus has not done yet anything miraculous. He's not necessarily preached the message of the good news. He's been an incredible, maybe, son, wonderful in his family. He's been faithful as a carpenter for 30 years. He's been wonderful in the community. He is sinless. But from the affection of the Father, he begins to minister. 
So writing to the church in Rome, Mark points to Jesus and he sharply invites us to ask ourselves again, not merely in word, but in behavior, in action, and in attitude, who or what do our lives point others to? And getting right to the point, he does this, Mark does it, again, straight away. And he points us to Jesus, that he is and he brings every one of us good news. Everyone say good news. Jesus brings you and he brings me good news. And he does something really significant. He declares that this is a new story, that this is something that is new, but it's connected to the old. And John does this in a very, very simple way. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. In other words, that the readers of the book would know the one that Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament was talking about, this is him, this is Jesus. He is the son of God, he's the Messiah, and he's gonna do something new, but it's not a brand new new story. Story, it's connected to an old story, and that's important for where we're going in just a moment. And then he has us look at John the Baptist to see one preparing the way for others to see Jesus. And so in the spirit of Mark, let me hit you with three quick, quick hits. Three questions. Is what I believe and share about Jesus, is it good? That's a good question. Is what I believe and what I share about Jesus good? Like if you're walking up to everybody at work and you're starting with, let me tell you why you're bad. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Though they may be wrong and though they may be bad, but what do we believe? What do we believe about God that is good? Why has Jesus come? It's a good question to ask. Do, do what I believe about him and what I share about Jesus, is it, is it good? Or the dot, dot, dot would be, is what I believe about Jesus and share about Jesus, am I lying and overstating what they're not gonna walk out in reality? Like come to Jesus and all your problems are just gonna go away. No, they're not. In fact, you're gonna get a whole host of other problems because for how many years in your life that you've not been following Jesus, you've just been surrendering to temptation and now you're gonna to submit to Jesus and resist temptation and it's gonna get harder. Just come to Jesus and, 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 and everything is going to be better. No, come to Jesus and all hell's gonna break out against you. It's not to be feared, but I mean, it's gonna go, go uphill before it actually plateaus and that's beautiful because we're ascending the hill of the Lord. Okay, it's a beautiful thing, but I'm just telling you, you don't wanna soften when you're talking to people. It's not bad news. It's just like, it's just, you wanna ground them in a little bit of reality, yes. How many of you, when you came to Jesus, everything changed, but life also got a little bit more challenging? Okay, everything changed. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer, the traffic was not as frustrating. And then as the longer you follow Jesus, it comes back and you have to cast that devil out again and again, <laughs> right? But it's the space, it's the space. And all of that is true and it's beautiful and it's good news, but within the good news, you also realize that then this, this is not home, this is not my home and there are things here that are hard and there are things here that are not aligned with who God has created me to be that want to deform and deshape me in ways that are not healthy and not helpful and that don't help me become more like Jesus. They, they make me look more like the first Adam than the final Adam in a biblical sense. The first Adam fell and the final Adam in Jesus did not. So is what I believe and share about Jesus good? Here's the next question. Am I honoring the past? 
Mark's gospel does, it says this is brand new but it's connected to an old story. You can't disconnect and divorce from it nor can you dishonor it. It's, it's a continuous story. Am I honoring the past? I'm not talking about glossing over the past. I'm not talking about looking with eyes that don't see the things that were unjust or wrong. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is we have to be careful in 2023 that in the language of progressivism, that you, not just politically, but just that progressive meaning everything is always getting better, not necessarily. It's just being, it's somebody else's better that it's being formed to, and so for them or that group or that idea, it's better, but in the end of it, when we look, it's, there's a lot of disrespect that begins us on the pathway of dishonor. And we dishonor, you know, the biblical promise of honor your father and mother, it comes with a promise and you may be here and say, when I look at my father, I remember my father and mother, um, there's nothing but pain. I pray the Holy Spirit can show you one thing, something that you can honor. Even if the entire story isn't, there's something that you can honor, there is something that God can redeem, there is something that he can do. And so the book of Mark ties that, am I honoring the past? Again, not, not, not excusing the issues that we see of rebellion and everything in the Old Testament, but, but, but am I honoring it? And, and then here's the third one, and this is what I want you to really think about today. Again, not revelatory, just reflective. Do I accept that my life either clears or clutters others' ability to see Jesus? Do I just accept that this is true? That my life either clears or it clutters others' ability to see Jesus? And when I wrote that question, I actually think that it's helpful and unhelpful. It's helpful in the sense that I think it's good for you to think about and it's good for me to think about, but I think it's unhelpful in this way. I think all of us, the answer to the question is just a resounding yes. That in some instances, my life absolutely clears the way for others to see Jesus. And in other instances, my life absolutely clutters. And why do I share this? And why can we engage this with truth? And why is this beautiful? Because again, this is not the gospel of Jason, it's the gospel of Jesus. That you and I do our absolute best, but even in our best, we're still gonna make some mistakes. Like has anyone here ever in your life at least one time tried to share the gospel with another human being? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, did you ever walk away from the conversation in your head going, what in the world just happened? What did I just say? I don't even believe what I just said. What did I just say? And somehow, miraculously, they heard the gospel. It's because there was one that is greater than you who was in the conversation. The Holy Spirit was present. Like if you're ever a teacher or a pastor, it's this beautiful privilege that you stand and you connect with people and they say, man, when you said this and when you said that, and in your head you're going, I never said that. <laughs> and I know I didn't say that because that sounded really smart. And I know I didn't say that. I know I didn't say that. Man, when you talked about this today, I didn't talk about that at all. What is this book? It says that it's living and it's active. You read it, but it reads you better than you'll ever read it. And it knows how to speak to you. The whole, yeah, yeah, there is something. Yeah, Harry Potter is not the same as this book. And if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you're not allowed to watch Harry Potter. Or the Simpsons. Or the Smurfs. 
And if you grew up in the 80s as a Christian, we were listening to records backwards to try to discern their hidden meanings. But if we just would have looked at the album titles, like Black Sabbath, I knew that this wasn't honoring to the Lord. Like, I just got it, okay? There's a little joke for you there. You grew up in the 80s. It was awesome. Yeah, we, I cannot wait till my kids point out how they grew up in the 2000s and like, you know, they're like yeah, that hurts, that, that stings. You know, you guys did this. Yeah, we did this. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, you know, every generation's got the best on the next one, but they really don't. It's the same stuff, okay? But this word is living. It's active. It's unlike any other book in human history. It really is. It's God's word. God wrote a book. We didn't. It's his idea. The very first thing that God did when he was talking to Moses face to face is he gave him tablets and he wrote in them and he gave him the law. But Moses didn't write the law. God wrote the law and gave it to Moses. This book is God's idea. It's not our idea. It's God's idea. So the question again is, do I accept that my life either clears or clutters other abilities to see Jesus? It's a good question. This is why Mark has us, I think, focus immediately on John the Baptist. And it says this. It says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If there's one thing we're a little bit guilty of in the church is, and I take, and I, you know, I'm not pointing out where I, I take a little, I take responsibility for my side of the street 100%. Um, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to engage salvation without repentance. So you, I'm not trying to add a precondition to salvation or justification. What I'm actually saying is you can pray all the words that you want, but if you never actually turn towards Jesus, you're just saying words. And, and I'm not judging the intent of your heart. That's not my place. It's not my job. That's God's job. God knows whose or his. I can get it wrong, and you and I can get it wrong, and I don't want to get into that space. That's God's space. And when we get into that space, we, we make a real mess of it. But what I am saying is that Mark is really clear that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance, of, of turning from something and then turning to someone. That, that, that you and I, to be saved, we have to turn from being the savior of our own lives to the one who is the greater savior in Jesus, that we then begin to work and we turn from lust and he, God teaches us to love people the way he loves them, which is not lustful, it's loving. We turn from coveting to we turn towards this place of trust. We, 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 we move from greed to being generous. We move from being selfish to being sacrificial people. And this is what we do throughout the whole of our lives. And so here's what I want you to know. Whenever you hear about repentance in the church, it's not a hard, heavy word. It is a word and a behavior that leads to your freedom. It is to be welcomed like salve on an aching soul that turns. Look at, well, the Here's one of the problems in church. Like, the longer I follow Jesus, then the less I repent. No, the more I become like Jesus. Jesus didn't ever need to repent, don't misunderstand me, but the more I become like Jesus, the more I recognize that my need of Jesus, which is turning to him. It's this beautiful space, and this is the message and contrast that with the message that the people were hearing in the day. And in fact, you don't have to think a little bit further. You don't have to think actually and imagine that far. We live in a world today that has removed God from everything. In the place of God, it's just put self. 
And you know what that is creating for people? So much anxiety, so much stress, so much, so much works. Like it's creating, it's, it's all the principles of God's word without the presence of God. It is all the things of the faith with having a faith in yourself, not a faith in God. And here's what I believe with everything in me. The more the world buys into a works gospel, the closer they are to the gospel because they're not actually that far. They just have to shift the source of their faith from themselves to God. And there is an exhausted world out there that is trying to be everything, say everything the right way, do everything the right way, do this, do that, get up in the morning and hustle, get up in the morning and make it, get up in the morning and do it, it's all on you, no one's gonna come and save you. I heard a motivational speaker say, I get up every day and I say, nobody is going to save me. And I say, no way, I get up every morning and say, thank you, Lord, that you saved me. It, it does not mean that I don't have to apply effort. It means that I get up every day not having to earn one thing. I am loved by the God of the universe because he is so very good and he is a covenant-keeping God and through the work of his son, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Though there's unrighteousness in my life, I am righteous, he is good. He is so good. We need to learn to tell the story of God's goodness to a world that is exhausted by works and performance. They're exhausted. And I get the appeal, but last thing, then I'm gonna move on. Man, I get the appeal. I get the appeal in culture of removing God and putting self. I get it, because who doesn't want their own vending machine that they can think and get whatever they want on their terms? Again, the problem is all the fine print that comes on your shoulders, and A, it doesn't work, but the fine print that comes on your shoulders that says again that you must supply all your needs and that's not what the living word says. It says my God shall supply all my needs. Man, we are not living a little different from the world. We are living countercultural in the world. Hey church, when Jesus came, he did not turn the world upside down. No, 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 we live in an upside down world every day. He showed us the way he intended. It is right side up. And it is the blind seeing, the lame hearing, those who are in bondage and oppression and depression being absolutely set free. This is the heart of the king and this is what it is to be in his kingdom. This is Jesus. This is what John is saying. He is screaming. This is such good news. To best point others to Jesus, John does three things that we have to also do well. John is present where most people are needed. He is in the wilderness with the people. He is present where God is most needed. John is proclaiming how we must move towards God in repentance and he is promising hope that God is so good that he will forgive your sins if you repent. If you repent, and again, just notice the essential order here, and I wanna just touch this and move on. Repentance precedes baptism. 
Water baptism is not a step of repentance. It is a sign that you have turned and trusted Jesus. It is a sign that you have turned and trusted and that you are unashamed to publicly declare that your savior is no longer self, it is Christ the Lord. And you are unashamed that who would know it. And so there are some of you maybe who were baptized as a child, you maybe you grew up Catholic or you did not make the choice and you wish to make the choice for yourself. We have no issue with that. But there are others of you who maybe in your early teens or 20s or even when you were 15, you got baptized and you had a season where you fell away from the Lord and you've come back to the Lord, you've come back to your faith. Here's the beautiful thing, God never left you, you just ran for a little bit, but you were running straight into God the whole time, you just didn't know it, I didn't know it when I did. Here's the beautiful thing though, when you return to the Lord, you don't have to be rebaptized. you just have to repent. Okay, you just have to repent and just keep going. Here's why we say that. <laughs> because you don't, have to, you don't have to be water baptized again to prove to God you mean it this time. He knows you. You don't have to, anything to prove to God. He already knows. You just have to repent and then continue to walk in repentance and let God continue to move. But if you were a kid and you wanna get baptized, you were baptized, you didn't make a decision, you wanna do it, no problem. We're just simply saying you don't have to get rebaptized to prove anything, okay? You don't have to put that yoke on your shoulders. Next thing I would say is the story of John is the story, it's a very unique story. Jesus said he's the greatest. But your story may or may not get all of the country of Judea or Jerusalem to turn out. In other words, your story may touch multitudes or it may touch in moments. It may touch men, it may touch women, it may touch a few or it may touch all, you know, all lots of people in Jerusalem and Judea. The question isn't how many people your story touches. The question is simply just, am I faithful to steward what God has entrusted to me? He will never ask you to be faithful with something that he has given somebody else to steward. He will though encourage and he will hold you to account. He will bring judgment to all of our lives in a beautiful way. And once again, repentance is not a scary word, nor is judgment. There's holy awe to it, but the God who is good that judges is good. It's good. Tell the person beside you and say, I don't believe you. <laughs> Just read into that moment and you're like, it's good. But you're not gonna be held responsible. I'm not gonna be held responsible for Billy Graham's call. Thank you, Jesus. But I am gonna be responsible for mine. Yours responsible for yours. In Christ, the metric is not success, it's faithfulness. It's stewardship. What has God given you to steward? Be faithful with it. Be faithful with it. If he adds to it, to God be the glory. If he keeps it the same, to God be the glory. Okay, just to God be the glory either way. I promise though, if you are present where God is needed, he'll use your life. Calling is how you uniquely discover how, how does my life point others to Jesus? What does that look like? There's a uniqueness to all of our stories there. And truth asks, does my life point others to a promised hope in Christ or is it pointing them to something else? Dallas Willard says this, we have counted on preaching and teaching to form the life of the Christian, but this strategy has not turned out well. The result is that we have multitudes of Christians who can hardly get along with themselves, much less others. Lord, heal us in here. Heal us in here. Form us in here. Shape us in here. See the next part. The next part in Mark is a favorite of mine. 
And before I read it, before I read Mark chapter one, verse six, I wanna ask a question. And I want you to be honest, because you're in church, and those of you who are at home, <laughs> you're at home, but if you're live streaming, it's still church, so I need you to be honest. How many of you have a little bit of weird in you? Can I see your hands, please? <laughs> okay, 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 so those of you, those of you who raised both hands, wow. <laughs> I have a little bit of weird in me too. Okay, let me give you an example. How many of you like things to be just so? Like if you came over to my house and I intentionally just made every picture frame a touch crooked, oh, no. you would not be able to concentrate the entire time that you were there. <laughs> if that's you, I'm gonna do that as a gift to you. But here's what I did one time that was so weird, it was so wrong, it was so rude, and I cannot believe I did it. I like a Starbucks cup or a coffee cup that has a, a cup and then a sleeve. I like all the logos to line up. Yeah. Don't judge me, someone yelled what over there? Okay, and I was talking with someone and they were holding their coffee cup and I took it and lined it up and I gave it back to them. <laughs> okay, that's rude. <laughs> that's, that's, that's invading someone else's personal space. It's wrong, but I was at peace. Okay. <laughs> now let me take it one step further. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there today on this Sunday morning. Okay, some, some of you, I wanna help you. Chew with your mouth closed, okay? <laughs> Chew with your mouth closed. When we're in the same room, some of us are really sensitive to the noise. Chew with your mouth closed, okay? Just chew. It's just basic manners. It's just basic manners. Just chew with your mouth closed. Just chew with it. Just... I'm just saying I got a little bit of weird in me. Turn the person beside you and say, I don't want to listen to him anymore. <laughs> okay, I have more weird in me, but that's enough for this Sunday. You got weird in you. Oh, here, here's what I'm saying. John the Baptist, he's got some weird in him. He's got some weird in him. It says, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate grasshoppers. He's a Nazarite. He, we're not going to have time to talk about it. He's a Nazarite and wild honey. Right? John was organic before it was even a thing. <laughs> like, like, do you eat local honey, like in the area, because it has good nutrients? John would be like, yeah, I did. I, I knew that, like, thousands of years ago. I knew that to do that. <laughs> yeah. John was hippies before hippies. Do you get it? John was like earth and tree and grass, and life's good, man. He was like, he was this guy. He's got some weird in him. Turn the person beside you and say, you, you've got some weird in you. And why do I say that? Okay, uh, if you're new to Canada, I wanna clue you in. If you're new to Canada and somebody says to you, you're just a little different, that's not a compliment. <laughs> like that's a Canadian way for somebody to be literally like, I think you're weird. It's like if you were in the South and someone said, bless your heart, what they meant was you're a moron. Okay, that's what they meant. Like, I thought they were just blessing me. No, they were not blessing you. They, they, were, they were giving you constructive feedback. So if some Canadians like, man, you're just a little bit different. What they're actually saying is, you're freaking me, your weirdness is freaking me out right now. We, we're not overstated people where they're like this, like, you know, some of you are like, nah, not in my house and I'm a Canadian, I just tell it like it is. Welcome to Canada, we need you. 
We need you to help set us free. Some of you are French and I go to your house and you're passionate about everything, everything. You talk at level 10 and then you go to 11 when you're really, really passionate. Crazy. Okay. So let's just say John was unique. Why do I say that? Because God does not expect you to be anyone else than other than who he's created you to be. In order to point people to Jesus, you don't have to become a different version of you. You just have to commit yourself to becoming more like Christ. And God will use your weirdness. And sometimes it'll clutter and other times it'll clear the way. But here's the catch. John used everything to point others to Jesus. And this is the catch. Some people see your stuff before they see you. Yeah. Some of your stuff, some of the way you're in relationships may even sometimes, I'm real tender here, but I want to be clear. Like, if it's relationship burned after relationship burned after relationship burned after relationship burned, Jesus may have to heal something about how you do relationships so that people can really see you. We all got stuff. And not just sin stuff, stuff stuff. And so that can be healthy or unhealthy. It can be positive or negative. And stuff can be your physical attributes, your acquired skills, your material possessions. Like some of you God has blessed materially and people look to you because of your stuff. The question is when they look to you, do they exclusively see your stuff? Or when they see your stuff, do you point them to Jesus? spiritual gifts, your life experiences, your natural abilities. Again, the danger is when stuff is all other people see, good or bad. If it's good, then you're gonna make yourself the hero of the story. And if it's, if it's bad, you're gonna make yourself the victim in the story. And truthfully, as a Christ follower, you don't wanna be hero or victim, you wanna be a guide that leads others to Jesus. And so the opportunity, though, is when people see your stuff, like John, point them to Jesus. And this is where I end. When people see you, you have an opportunity to let them see Christ. And regardless of your personality or your weirdness, your inexperience or your experience, we can all learn from John's posture. In Mark chapter one, verse seven, it says, he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Another gospel and a little later writes it this way that when John sees Jesus, he says, now it's the time for me to decrease so that he can increase. Whatever and however people see you, you gotta figure out how to get lower. You gotta figure out how to decrease so they can see Jesus. We all need to learn from John's posture. Becoming heart strong is always being prepared to point people to Jesus. You see, we can learn from John, but we need to become like Jesus. Because even John, who Jesus said was the greatest, when persecution came his way, his faith was rocked. But when persecution came Jesus' way, his faith settled because if there's ever one whose actions aligned perfectly with their words it is Christ 
And in this category of humanity, Jesus stands alone. And he promises to never leave us alone. And he invites all of us to be at his table. So I'm going to invite you to locate your communion element. Nice and quietly. And it would be my honor to lead us in prayer. Together, let's pray these words. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Forgive me of my sin and heal my heart. Help me to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. And one of the things that we want to begin to do this ministry here is following a moment of personal repentance, which that just was. We want to move to a moment of corporate affirming what we as Christ followers believe together by reciting the Apostles' Creed, and then we're gonna receive. So it's going to come on the screen, and as it does, let's read it all together. There it is. I'll, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pilate's Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, ascended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of Christ, let's partake together. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let us receive together. How many of you are thankful for God's amazing grace?